lead. Mick Dittman is squeezing through on naturalism's emanations there with heroicity. And here comes Viander Cross. Viander Cross down the outside is motoring home. Naturalism the leader. Viander Cross inch by inch is wearing him down. Naturalism still in front. He ran out near the line, but naturalism wins in a half. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance by stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed, you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bins. Correct nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race, and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's easy performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance, the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes. Danielle Seib's training career began shortly after the sudden passing of her father Lewis, just over five years ago. She decided to acquire her licence and continue working the small team of horses he had in work at Musselbrook. She actually won with Nick City at Mudgee just one month after Lewis's passing. In honouring a promise she'd made to her late father, Danielle immediately enrolled for a Bachelor of Secondary Education course with honours in science and majoring in biology. She started the course at Newcastle University completed her studies online and graduated early in 2019. Fast forward to a stint with Gulban trainer Danny Williams, after which she began her own training career with a six-horse team. For the following year, she combined horse training with a job as a science teacher at nearby Crookwell High School. Five wins with a gelding called Assault and Bathory, including two tab highways, brought young Danielle under notice as a trainer of obvious talent. Eighteen months ago, she decided to put her teaching career on hold when her horse numbers began to rise. Today, she's a full-time trainer with 24 in work, including five for prominent syndicators champion thoroughbreds. At 28, it's all ahead for a young lady who was in pony club from a very early age and later excelled in the eventing field. She can be found at Gulban Racecourse most mornings riding eight to ten horses in track work. Danielle Seib, a big welcome to the podcast. Good morning, John. Welcome. Thank you. Lovely to have you on board. I know you enjoyed your short time as a science teacher, but deep down, you really wanted to be a horse trainer. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, horses have always been my passion. Um, my mum, mum said even, you know, from as, as long as I could talk, I absolutely pestered them to, to have a horse and to learn to ride. And I think mm. Dad sat me on a racehorse when I was. 
four at the races. Um, ironically, it was actually Mudgy where I had my first, trained my first winner. Mm. Sat on the back of a racehorse in the tie-up stalls and was um, never quiet about it ever again. And and they they gave in and and got me riding lessons. And like mm. you said, the rest the rest is history. I was in love with the horses. Mm. You'll always regard a Sultan Bathory as the horse to kickstart your training career. You got this horse under amazing circumstances. Your dad went to the Patanak dispersal in 2014 to buy a horse called Inner Viking, but he had to drop off when the bidding got to $60,000. But he left the sale with Inner Viking's weanling brother, who cost him $10,000. And that little critter took forever to grow up, didn't he? He did, yeah. The dad dad went crook about it when he came back from the breakers. He said, well, I don't know why I bought this horse. He's so immature he'll be. He'd just be a nightmare to syndicate and and um, he'll he'll need all the time in the world. And I loved him from day dot. He was a um, lovely, quiet horse and had a little bit of a cheeky personality and hmm. a bit of swagger about him. And I said, I'll, I'll take him. I'll own him. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he, he made me put my money where my mouth was. I paid for him hmm. and, um, you know, rode him in track work from, from day dot, from the breakers and um, – and yeah, I always, always treated him like he was a good horse. Always had high, high dreams for him, and um, he has taken me on a wonderful ride. Um, mm. Not just the winning that that came with him, but um, a lot of hard work. He had a few issues, a um, few issues between his ears, and a, and a few soundness issues, <laughs> and he was he was a mm. bit difficult in the barriers, and he really made me work for the the wins we got from him yeah. and taught, taught me an absolute abundance about racing, about horses, training, mm. um, and to really um, live in, in the moment and, and to um, enjoy, you know, being able to go to, go to town and have a, a horse that you knew would be competitive and genuine, um, not just in the highways but, but later in a few benchmark races. Mm. And the decision was made to keep him in the family. You formed a little syndicate comprising yourself, your mum, Julie, your sister, Belinda, your brother, David, and your sister-in-law, Ellen. Now, yeah. look, he retired yep. with five wins and ten placings uh, on his CV and almost $200,000 in prize money. And you tell me you've still got him. Yep, yep. Kept the old fella. He's, he's just out of town and... I do do try to get a little bit of time to go out and ride him. Um, he was in was in work there as a bit of a, a dressage horse for a few months um, before it got a little bit cold and a little bit busy through winter here in Goulburn. But um, yeah, he's he's living a, a very good life and um, occasionally will venture to the races actually um, as a pony. He's a good good quiet lad at the at the races and um, he's he's very well loved. He, he, he won't be leaving the family. <laughs> you were delighted to win two consecutive tab highways uh, with the gangly big fella. One of them was at Rose Hill with Nash Rewilla. The other was at Randwick with Winona Coston. And this is where your training talent comes into it. Between those two tab highway wins, he had a fairly lengthy spell. 
Yeah, he did. He did. He really, um, I suppose, as a country trainer, you always have dreams of, of the country championships and, and having a horse good enough. Um, and when he demolished that field with Nash on board, we plotted a path to the country championships um, in typical assault and battery manner. He, he wasn't, we didn't expect him to win first up <laughs> mm. um, with Winona on board. We, we were thinking the one two weeks after that. Um, however, he, he um, well, I always like to make things a little bit difficult. So he came out and, yeah. and won in terrific fashion with Winona on, which was um, very rewarding for her. Uh, she did a lot of the work with him when he had a few barrier issues and um, mm. she really, she, she went to the races just to barrier trial him. She didn't, didn't have a ride on the day. So it was a terrific reward for all her efforts, um, mm. that win at, at Randwick. And, um, yeah, we then plotted a path to the country championships. Winona's um, very dedicated. She loves the business and she's overcome a lot of rather serious injuries. She just keeps going. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And she she um, was quite fond of him. She, she never had a bad word to say about him, just say would say he's quirky. <laughs> yeah, that's the word, yeah. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was... Could be could really turn it on in the gates. So um, mm. uh, I owe a lot of a lot of his his uh, wins and his success to to Winona and all her hard work. To Winona Coston. Now yeah. Tudor Prince has been good for the stable, Danielle. In recent months, in fact, you won four straight at one stage, one of them at Canterbury, and Jean Van Overmeer. Rode him in all four wins. Jean's riding in Dubai at the moment. Yes, he's he's very sorely missed by us. <laughs> um, he had an absolutely terrific um, relationship with this horse. We used to have a little bit of a giggle about it when when he'd, he'd get legged aboard, and you know, can we do it again? And and mm. and they would. Um, he's just one of those horses. When he arrived, he was down a little bit. On confidence and, and down a little bit in the benchmarks, and um, he's first the first run he had with with Jean on board. Um, we didn't think we'd be leading. I just said get him in a good rhythm, and uh, he ended up in front, and and that was a little bit of a secret to him, I think, mm. um, just getting him getting him out in open air and letting him roll along. Uh, he's a horse that that Jean would always say rates himself to the to the speed he needs to go and. When he knows he needs to click up a notch, he does, and um, he's a very da- game and, and tough horse. You're one of many lucky people who have a good story to tell about the Inglis online auction. Now, you and your partner, Aaron Day, purchased a horse called Hemurl off that platform for $2,500. And even though he was getting on a bit... You were able to win five country races with him, including the Corowa Cup, and that was your first country cup. He was a bit of fun, Hamel. Yeah, Hamel is a lovely old horse. Um, Aaron knew him from his, his past life as a young horse with uh, Denny Williams, and he, he had a bit of a boom on him as a young horse um, and had a few little issues and passed through a few different trainers' hands and... Um, was last trained by by his his long standing owner um, uh, before before we purchased him, and um, he he was terrific. Hamel, he just um, became revitalised with us, and 
put a few few good wins together and certainly highlighted by the Corowa Cup. It was, I guess, you you know, your dream of winning country cups um, mm. as a trainer and particularly when you're based in the country. Uh, it was a, a really big thrill uh, that, that day and, and young Hannah Williams, uh, she rode him to three wins all up and, and had a great affinity with him um, and that was a, a terrific experience. And we'll talk a little more about Hannah shortly. But I should mention at this stage, Danielle, that your partner, Aaron, is a member of the legendary Day Harness Racing family. His dad is Dennis, who's more than made his mark as a trainer and driver. Aaron was never drawn to the harness sport? He, he still he owns one trotter still, mm-hmm. um, but he... He didn't. He didn't fall in love with it as much, I suppose. Um, mm. He went. He went off to university and and gained a degree. And um, similar to myself, had a, a little bit of um, a foray into more of a normal life, I suppose. And then was once again drawn back into the horses. And I met him um, at Denny Williams's mm. uh, when I first moved down here to Goulburn. Um, and yeah, he, he still. Still has a little bit to do with his his dad and and helping out there when when needed, but um, I think he he just um, he idolises Danny Williams. He's a terrific role model for him, um, mm. both of us, and um, that kind of got him into the into the gallopers. And um, he's he's well and truly stuck here now. <laughs> mm. Well, he's your official foreman, and most importantly, he is your resident farrier. And you tell me he is very, very good at the shoeing art. You're a lucky trainer. <laughs> yes, I have a few people comment every Pony Club girl's dream. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he does, he does a terrific job, Aaron. Um, absolutely meticulous uh, with his work and, and very dedicated. You know, we've had a countless number of horses with, with issues that um, we've just been able to manage through through Aaron's work and um, – and you know, luckily we we don't have um, many that we can't get right, um, and that shows, I think, in their consistent racing patterns and, and our ability to keep the horses um, going for you know quite a few runs into a preparation and with consistent results. Mm. Um, strong believer of keeping things pretty simple with horses, mm. um, but most important thing. You know, in yourself, if you've got sore feet and you've got sore legs and you've got a sore back, mm. um, it all it all works up. Uh, they're designed in a specific way for the you know um, to to be hitting the ground in a specific manner. The mechanisms and everything up their legs, you mm. know, it's all dis- disrupted if yeah. if they're not they're not balanced. Um, and you know, then you're going down paths with issues and, and looking at, at vets and all the rest of it. Yeah. But if you've got them, got them balanced and got them hitting the ground right and, and moving the way that they were designed to move, then you're going to be significantly limiting um, issues that may arise. So, mm. you know, just no, not enough credit can be given, I don't believe, to to farriers, um, and to have to have Aaron there all the time and and um, you know. Being my right hand and my eyes is is um, you know one of the one of the main reasons for our success. Yeah, no feet, no horse. Exactly, exactly. Now you insist on riding track work. 
Not only do you love it, you thoroughly enjoy it, but you appreciate the opportunity to communicate with every horse in the place. Yeah, another thing I don't think you can um, undervalue enough, uh, overvalue enough, um, just being able to, to have a feel of them, um, not just not just physically, but a bit of an idea of, of what they are like um, mentally and, and how they're coping with things. Um, just gives you that little bit more insight um, and, and helps you make decisions leading into, into races and, and throughout their preparations. You've got two great... Uh, assistant work riders or co-work riders. Firstly, Gabby Osborne, who's been with you for about three years now. Yeah, Gabby's a terrific young lady. Um, we've we've watched her grow from from a young girl to a to a young adult, and absolutely, you know, just delighted to have Gabby as part of our team. Um, when she first came to us, she was a green and raw and and just started on the ground and about 18 months ago she said I would would like to ride she's she's a old pony club and eventing girl as well and mm. um taught her up from scratch to ride track work and she's a, a very valuable part of the team she does a terrific job with the horses she's never never worried always relaxed and and just has that natural gift that that you can't teach with the horses mm. uh, so we're, we're very lucky to have her Mm. You've mentioned Hannah Williams already. Hannah's already ridden winners for you, in fact, including Hemurl in the Corowa Cup. Hannah and her partner Nick Hayward, you tell me, have relocated to Goulburn. Yes, they have. Um, they moved moved to Goulburn last week and, and Hannah's uh, currently on loan to me um, as the apprentice. And uh, we're, we're delighted to have her um, and to get her situated a little bit closer to the provincial circuit and hopefully um, to opportunities there and, and moving on to um, onto the metro races. She's um, a very intelligent young rider that um, places her horses in very good positions in races and, and comes back and gives outstanding feedback. Uh, she, she also has that little bit of quality that you can't teach, um, that mm. ability to to ride a horse in, in a nice position um, and to have them travel and give them every, op- mm. every possible opportunity. Nick is uh, still out of action, of course, with a leg fracture, so I'm pleased to hear he's been keeping himself busy and get his mind off that leg. Yeah, it's an important part of, of racing, isn't it, to try to mm. keep keep your, your mind busy when um, your body's recovering. Uh, unfortunately, injuries are part and parcel of race riding and track work and even just working with horses in general. So I think uh, Nick's been busy unpacking his, his shoe cupboard. I hear he has a, a good shoe collection <laughs> and they're uh, enjoying Goulburn so far. Good news and best of luck to Hannah and Nick. I think Nick's got four or five weeks to go uh, before he can throw the crutches away. But he's a great rider. Pity's uh, troubled by weight issues. He's flat out riding under 58, but he's certainly one of the best riders in the region. Yeah, no doubt about that. You're a keen advocate of the e-tracker device, which is attached to the horses during track work and it provides you with a lot of data. You swear by it. 
yeah, I think it's a terrific tool and, and certainly, um, you know, one of the, the new scientific developments in racing that are, that are just, um, you know, making our, our job a little bit easier um, and en- enabling trainers to just have that little bit more confidence, I think. Um, doesn't necessarily try, change the way in which I train, um, but certainly provides you with a little bit more insight and, and a little bit more confidence to um, to make certain decisions and, and to, um, you know, back back the um, changes that you might have wanted to make with a horse. Um, just gives you gives you that little bit of inside knowledge. Danielle, I'll get you to stand by there for a moment while we clear a commitment on the podcast. Back with you after this. There's a famous old race coming up at Royal Randwick on Saturday, January the 21st. It's the Listed Carrington Stakes, named after an early New South Wales governor and first run in 1886 when Ben Bolt was successful. For 93 years, it was run over 1,200 metres, but they tinkered with the distance. It went to 1,000 metres for 25 years, 1,100 for another decade. The Carrington has been run over 1,400 metres since 2015. The most celebrated winner of the race is Burnborough, who was a six-year-old when he won in 1945. It was the second of his famous sequence of 15 wins and only two months before he won the new market with 63 kilos. The horse to make the Carrington his own in the 1980s was At Sea, who scored in 85 and 86 for Theo Green and again in 1987 for Pat Webster. In more recent years, the Carrington was the race that saw the enigmatic Tom Melbourne win for the first time in almost three years. In between those wins, he recorded 11 seconds, earning him a reputation as the horse who's forgotten how to win. In the 2019 Carrington, he got a big cheer from the crowd when he strolled home with Blake Shin in the saddle. The Carrington Stakes will be 136 years old when they jump out of the barrier on January the 21st. My special guest is Danielle Seib. Your late dad, Lewis had a thorough grounding in the industry long before he became a trainer. He was a valued member of Brian Mayfield Smith's team during the glory days of Nebo Lodge at Rose Hill. He would have had his hands on some pretty good horses in that era. Yeah, that's exactly right. He, he'd often get out the old workbooks and, you know, the lists were, were endless of the horses would you know, have a good chat about them and 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 say, oh, I wonder what happened to this, you know, to this horse, and and then mm-hmm. get sidetracked talking about a different type of feed or <laughs> certain things that that used to go on back in the day. It was um, certainly just a, a, a good trip down memory lane. Dad later settled in the Hunter Valley, where he spent close to a decade working on Kingmaker Stud during the time of a very underrated stallion called Bite the Bullet, who got a three-time Group 1 winner in Sniper's Bullet and a constant flow of winners. There was a time, I recall, Danielle, when he had the reputation of being the state's best bread-and-butter stallion, Bite the Bullet. Yeah, there's a, uh, a picture on my mother's wall, actually, a photograph of him. Out at the stud, um, dad, dad loved that that stallion. Um, spent a lot of time 
uh, just himself sometimes. He would he would serve mares alone, and was a little bit of a jack of all trades out there at Kingmaker. He'd be he was mm. the um, loosened man on the crop and <laughs> getting down the wells and fixing them and um, handling weanlings for the first time and. A lot of um, my very young childhood memories were helping him make up the feeds and mm. sitting on the back of the ute out there and, and, you know, passing off the buckets as he did the feed run. It was, um, yeah, a, a different a different job, I suppose, after being in the racing stables in Sydney, mm. um, but one that I think he he really enjoyed and, and got him back, back to the basics of the racing industry. After Kingmaker... Your dad worked for trainers Paul Massara and Jen Butler all the time, getting closer to taking out his own licence, and he finally did that in 1999. Now, this was about the time his youngest daughter gave strong consideration to becoming a jockey. In fact, you had a number of barrier trial rides on the Hunter Valley tracks, Scone and Musselbrook. Yeah, I did. I did. I um, probably rode maybe 20, 20 or so trials and um, enjoyed them thoroughly. Mm. Um, certainly did did consider taking out my my license once I once I finished university, and um, just a different uh, different part of my life, I suppose, at that stage with um, dad still being there and and thoroughly enjoying uh, that that aspect of it. How serious were you about a future as a jockey? Deadly serious? Yeah, definitely, definitely. But the study came first. I didn't want to, um, you know, it's it, it, you, you, you see how um, terrific a, a, a job it is being an apprentice um, with some of the, the young riders these days and how committed um, you need to be and, and riding everywhere. So it wasn't something I, I wanted to do anything other than 110% if that was going to be the case. Mm. Um, certainly wanted to complete my studies and then have that as my, my whole focus. So it was a step, um, but it was I, I wasn't quite there yet. I can't begin to imagine the upheaval in your family when your dad Lewis collapsed while in the hosing bay one day with one of his horses. The diagnosis was grim, and you lost him only one month later. Yeah, I suppose you you know it's no different with anybody. You you absolutely idolise your father, and um, you know you always think that they're indestructible, um, a pillar of strength in your family. And Dad and I were exceptionally close. We you know we worked side by side for years together, and always um, shared the horses and, and sport. Um, and would spend all weekend doing, you know, pony club or eventing or, or netball carnivals and, and things like that. So to have him um, ill to start with was was one thing and, you know, you just didn't really put any thought into the fact that you could actually, you know, lose him. Um, and when we, when we did, it was, yeah, it was a very big shock um, and something that was very, very difficult to cope with. I suppose we, we all coped with it in different different ways. I just threw myself into the work and, yeah. and tried not to think about it, um, which is probably not the best coping mechanism. No, no. <laughs> and, and one I 
one I, you know, paid a little bit of a price for in, in later months. But um, it it was, um, yeah, a terrible time in my life and, and one I wouldn't wish on anybody to, to lose somebody that you admired and idolised so much. Um, but, you know, I, I enjoy speaking about him and thinking about him and whenever I've got a bit of a difficult horse, I, I think, you know, what what would he do? And, and um, Oh, it's lovely. It's wonderful. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're never really, they're never really gone. Their memory lives on, and one day we'll we'll meet again. You felt obliged to continue with the training of the few horses he had in work at the time, and you won with Nick City at Mudgee, only a month after his passing. By gee, that would have tested the tear ducts. <laughs> yes, there is a. There's an um, image that gets around, and a few tears rolling out of the eyes um, after after Nick won that day. Mm. At Mudgee, it was, it was very rewarding. She was a, a horse that Dad quite liked, and, and she had a um, lot of ability but a lot of issues, and um, one we actually have kept in the family. Uh, I reacquired her this year, um, so she's she's in foal for us, and um, she's a bit in the same boat as a Sultan Bathory. She's part of the family. Mm. Your wonderful mum, Julie, still lives in the Hunter Valley and she is actually your chief administration officer and I know she contributes significantly to the business from her office in Scone. Yes, mum's a, mum plays a, a very big role in the business and, and she's uh, she thoroughly enjoys it actually. <laughs> Don't let her tell you any different but uh, she, she keeps me in line and, and does all those those difficult jobs that you find find it hard to find time for, um, you know, this allows me to still continue to be so hands-on with the horses and she, she takes that um, paperwork strain off me a little bit. Mm, she's a good mum. <laughs> she is. She's a yeah. terrific person. <laughs> now, Danielle, you'd promised Dad that you would gain a qualification in a field of your choice as a backup in the event of a training career not working out. You later attained your Bachelor of Secondary Education with honours in science and a biology major. And that's the little piece of paper that got you a job as a science teacher at Crookwell High. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, when, uh, you know, when Dad was training and, and you know, obviously he was, he's been in the industry, he was in the industry since he was 16, um, and, and knows the highs and lows of it and how tough it could be. And um, I don't think, you know, anybody could foresee the strength um, that, that racing, particularly in New South Wales, would um, achieve and, um, that you know, the prize money boosts and, and things. So his, his number one priority, I guess, was uh, that I would have options um, and, not, and not be only limited to working with horses and, and that I would gain a, a tertiary qualification and, and be able to, uh, yeah, have a, have a backup if, if working with horses, you know, wasn't financially um, secure enough. Mm. Gaining the university accreditation is one thing. Communicating with a classroom full of kids is another. I imagine <laughs> yeah. the first day would have been pretty intimidating. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, 
isn't an easy gig being a, a, a school teacher, in particular I was high school and, and science. It's not something that grabs every child in the classroom and fills them with inspiration. Um, they can be a pretty hard audience uh, and it was it was great, a great experience. Um, I did enjoy teaching, but certainly wasn't um, wasn't my passion, as we we touched on. Um, wasn't what would get me out of bed every morning. That was that was doing the horses before I'd toddle off to school. Mm. Um, but it's it's made me a, a more rounded person, um, and certainly I think you know helps with with um, speaking skills and, and confidence in talking to to owners and and the media and, and things like that, which is all, you mm. know, so important um, in, in racing and training. Mm. A few years ago, a Hong Kong owner called Long Lee commissioned you to buy him three yearlings at a scone sale. Now, one of them never raced. Another one won a couple of races for you under the name of Fat Gecko, hell of a name, and the third went straight to Hong Kong where he won five races under the name of My Sugar. He's now a six-year-old and miraculously he's back in your stable and I think you're pretty chuffed about it. Yeah, we, we, we call the big fella Kedji. He's um, he, a bit of a boomerang, Kedji. Um, picked yeah. him out the yearling. Picked him out at the at the uh, yearling sale for long. Um, I broke him in myself, actually, and um, he had to ex- export him over to Hong Kong as a as an unraced two year old. And he said, "Can he gallop?" And I said, "Well, I think so, but I haven't done a lot with him. He was a really big horse, sixteen two, sixteen three hands, and he was all all leg and." Um, leg and attitude at that stage in his career, and and I said, yeah, he's a, he's a nice horse, but he's you know he's very green, very raw, and mm. uh, long needed a horse over there. So um, off he went, and um, Jimmy Ting trained him. He had thirteen starts for the, yeah the five wins, five placings, and he's a very very talented individual. Um, suffered a, a few few setbacks throughout his career, and long made the decision to to send him home up to Australia and to give him um, to me and, and and offer me the opportunity to to get him right and to um, get him back to the races. And we're uh, about a month into that process and really happy with him. Right. So how far off a trial are we looking at? Uh, two to three months at this stage. Yep, mm. yep. Just coming along nice and still, steadily mm. um, and just getting him acclimatised back to Australia and, Funnily enough, he hasn't changed one iota. Mm, <laughs> He's really? still, the, still the same same horse that um, that I knew many many years ago. My sugar, have you worked out his benchmark yet? <laughs> high, yeah, high, high, <laughs> high, high. <laughs> off to off to Sydney with that one. You might be looking for a good claiming apprentice along the line here. <laughs> yes, yep, we might have one for him. You do. <laughs> Well, we'll have to put the stable jockey on. Hannah. Hannah. <laughs> of course. They'll, they'll get on well together. Now, for the punters listening to us, Danielle, we should highlight a three-year-old you're training by the name of Associate. He's by star witness, and at his only start so far, he was a close second on the Kenzo track. 
you seem to be very upbeat about him. Yeah, he's a lovely horse. Um, you, know, you hear people say all the time um, they just have a good horse's attitude and I've uh, worked with, you know, nice horses and and had a bit to do with some good horses, but um, certainly from the first day we worked this fellow and he, he took step in the stable, he was just something else. He just has that that attitude, just nothing phases him like an old horse. Like he's been there and, and done that before and um, his, his debut was terrific. He still has a lot of improvement um, in him and we're, we're pretty excited about him. Before becoming a trainer in your own right and before you started the, the teaching job at Crookwell High, you spent some months with Danny Williams. Now, I know we mentioned him earlier, but Danny's a magnificent horseman in his own right and uh, as a tutor, I imagine there'd be few better. Yeah, um, he does a terrific job with his horses, Danny. Um, taught me a lot, taught me a lot about um, running the stable, riding, riding track work. He's an absolute freak of a rider, um, a terrific horseman on and off their backs and um, really took me under under his wing and and um, got me going in Goulburn and, and we're still still great, great mates and it's nothing to go over, you know, over next door and, and ask any his advice on things and, um, and you know, to, to have a good chat. He's, um, he's a very, very good man. You've had several pleasant surprises in this business in the last 18 months or so, none greater than the phone call you got which led you to this marvellous association with champion thoroughbreds. How did that happen? Yeah, uh, out of the blue. <laughs> hmm. uh, Emma, Emma Glimmer from Champion Thoroughbreds rang me and, and said that uh, she she listened to my interview with uh, Richie Callender one night at Canterbury Night Races. Hmm. They had a bit of a bit of spare time um, between races and Richie said he, he wanted to, you know, advocate and, and advertise a few of um, the, the country trainers. Uh, I think believe there was myself and James Ponsonby and, and maybe Teresa Bader from uh, the provincials from Kembla. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he sat us down each and, you know, we had 10 minutes or so of, of live airtime and you can't, obviously you can't just um, underappreciate how much uh, that that does for you. And, and Emma heard me speaking that night and was impressed she said, <laughs> mm. and um, that led her to, to watching the stable pretty closely and we were going very well. Um, we had a terrific last season, a uh, strike rate of 25% winners and uh, similar up around the 30% placings. And, um, yeah, they were impressed and they've, they've given us quite a few horses. Mm. How many? Five, I think. Uh, got, yeah, got five in work with Champion. Wonderful. Um, so, yeah, great association including old Southern Lad. How's he going? Yeah, Southern Lad's great. He's um, It's lovely to be given a horse of, of his calibre. He's benchmark um, mid-90s there. And, uh, you know, to be heading off to Sydney races and uh, we took him down to Melbourne and, um, you know, racing in those listed sprint, sprint fields and benchmark hundreds, it's, um, you know, just it's great for my, for my training. Um, to and kind of sharpen your teeth against those 
top level top level horses and top level trainers. Mm. Now, Danielle, you do what has to be done in the training caper. You go wherever you think they can win. I spotted you with a runner or two recently at Bathurst. Yes. <laughs> yep, it's part of part and parcel of the game, I think, you know. Um, we'll we'll take them anywhere if we think that they can win. Um, I think we've we've tri- travelled down to Corowa maybe four times in the last twelve to eighteen months and I think only once we've come back without a winner. So yeah, exactly. um yeah, you know, it's that's part of the game and, and you keep yourself in the best company and your horses in the worst. Yeah, it's lovely to win, you know, to run fourth or fifth at Warwick Farm on a Wednesday, but it's far better to win at Corowa on a <laughs> Monday. exactly right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Danielle, you've created a very favourable impression in just five years, I think, since you went solo, but there were many more years of preparation before that. You were thoroughly grounded and ready for the task at hand. And I think it's fair to say your dad would have been very proud of your achievements to this point in time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, John. Um, it's It's been um, great so far, the training and um, and the steps into it. Um, and hopefully we we continue to have great success and continue to build up a, a stable of high quality. I think as you, um, you know, keep going a little bit further and as we've seen in, in the stable in the last 12 months, the quality um, is improving. The, the, the types of horses that you get offered as you make a little bit more of a name for yourself, um, just, just get that little bit better and better and, and nice young horses. Um, it's, it's terrific to... Um, be able to tick wins over with with um, tried horses and things, but the young horses are really the future and to be able to produce um, horses from scratch like associate um, and bring them up through the ranks. That's really what you what you aim to do and um, we, we're looking forward to that task in the future. Danielle Saib, thank you very much for joining us on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance. By stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed, you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bins. Correct nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race, and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's Easy Performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes.